couple things before we preach the word. Uh, just want to bring to you that we pray for. This is the Caspers last Sunday. They have some sick children at home, so they weren't able to be in the building. But we love you guys, and uh, they will be moving back home to Ohio. So we want to pray for them. And then also, um, many of you know, but Bill Hinckley, our brother, uh, used to be a member here. He uh, continues to be quite ill uh, with COVID, and uh, it continues to be life-threatening. So if we could, please, let's, uh, let's pray for them and for the preaching of the word. So, Father, we want to thank you for the Casper family. Lord, we pray for Lindsay's health that's requiring them to make this move, and we just ask that you would bless them. Lord, provide for them, provide employment, Lord, provide um, health, and Lord, allow this move to just be blessed by you. Lord, we lift up our brother Bill Hinckley to you, who continues to um, fight for his life, Lord, um, in the hospital. And we just ask you that you would have mercy on him, that you would restore him to health and well-being. Lord God, uh, do what only you can do. Lord, where the doctors, uh, they run out of answers, um, you, Lord, are able to heal him. And so we make our appeals to you, Lord. Please move on behalf of our brother. Father, we also pray this morning for the preaching of your word, and we ask you right now, by your spirit, come, speak to our hearts, build your church today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we are kicking off a series this morning on Thessalonians, and really what I'm trying to do this morning is, is also provide maybe a bit of a summary from our missions um, month uh, from the book of Acts, but also bring an introduction at the same time to Thessalonians. So you see, last week, Alex preached from Acts 16. You turn the page. Paul has fled from Philippi, run for his life. And where does he end up? He ends up in Thessalonica. And so we're just going to preach through these first nine verses here in Acts in an effort to summarize and launch our next series in 1 Thessalonians. So the question is, is why Thessalonians? We're going to preach through both 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And the best way I can succinctly answer that question is these two letters map out for us what makes a church a good church. Think about the book of Acts. Paul lands in a city. He preaches the gospel People are saved, added to the church. A church is born in these different places that we've been preaching through. He moves on to the next city, often because he's fleeing for his life. In the next city, sometimes, not always, but he'll end up in prison. Or if not in prison, in this case, he ends up in the next city and he writes letters back to those churches that were born. That's the book of Acts. And when we look at these different letters in the New Testament of Paul's, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing Paul has now moved on from Thess Thessalonica and he writes letters to them back to that church that was born there. That's really the simple way to look at what's going on. And in those letters, he unpacks for us what makes a church a good church? 
you are considering a move to Thessalonica, first century. Perhaps you got a job transfer. You're looking at moving yourself and your family. Let me ask you, would you join the church in Thessalonica? Would you join that church? I hope that you would. Why would you? Why would you not? If you are going to join that church, you probably need to know it's going to be extremely hard on you and your family. So maybe you don't want to join the church in Thessalonica. Maybe you want to worship elsewhere. There's plenty of houses of worship. There's lots of religion in this city. Temples, synagogues, Mount Olympus is about 50 miles outside the city. But I hope, I hope you will make it your home church, even if it harms your family. I hope you would find yourself a home here in this church in Thessalonica because it was a good church. How so or what made it such a good church? Was it the programs they instituted or was it the godly purity and love of the people? Was it the building they met in or was it the hearts who gathered there? Was it the prosperity of Thessalonica? It's a wealthy area. Or was it how Christ followers lived in the face of adversity? Was it the opinions of the first century believers or the authority of scripture? What makes a church a good church? These letters tackle issues such as relational ministry, church life, leadership, suffering and persecution, purity and godliness, and the second coming of Christ. I grew up in a church that was of the left behind tradition. I think the goal of that tradition was literally to scare us into heaven. We learned about the mark of the beast, the thief of the night, some really scary stuff and really scary movies when I was 13. Oddly enough, we learned about those things, but at the same time, we didn't learn about Jesus. Paul writes these letters to inspire us, not scare us, to encourage us and not to confuse us, to bring us joy, not fear, anticipation, not grief. I think you will fall in love with these letters. So I want to invite you, pull out these old letters, dust them off, because often Thessalonians, for some reason, just doesn't get quite the time, the microphone time that letters like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, or Colossians might. So pull them out, dust them off, and mine them for the gems that they contain. Here are a couple gems I want to drop past you as we consider what is in this letter. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Chapter two, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God. Verse eight, chapter two. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. 
And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Here's the big idea of our text this morning, Acts 17. You shall be my witnesses. Wherever you are, speak about Jesus and live content to let the gospel do what the gospel does. Stand firm even when you are tempted to quit. So point one, and you shall be my witnesses. Acts 1.8 is the launching point for all that we see take place in the book of Acts. Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. That's how we're to read Acts. We're to, we're to turn the page and go, wow, God's at work here in chapter wherever you might be. And you go, oh, that's, he told us that he would be. You're gonna be my witnesses in all the earth. So we, we, we Alex preached from chapter 16 last week and we, we saw that in Philippi. These three radical salvations, actually more than three, the entire household of the Philippian um, jailer becomes converted. And we should be going, oh, that's Acts 1-8. They're living this stuff of Acts 1-8. And we turn the page to chapter 17. He flees from Philippi. He ends up in Thessalonica. He will flee from there too to Athens and Berea and Mars Hill. And each time we're reading of these things, we should be going, oh, yeah, they are doing Acts 1-8. They're living Acts 1-8. And isn't that amazing to be able to read about that? But here's the thing we need, we need to understand. It's not as if we come to Acts 28 and read the last verse and think Acts 1-8 then ends. You and I are living Acts 1-8 today. It continues, the mission of the church continues today. In our day, we continue to be about Acts 1-8. We need to understand some things about Thessalonica. So I brought a map. I brought a map, and you'll see Philippi up there at the top, and then Thessalonica. What you notice about Thessalonica is there's a lot of water there. It's not a detailed map, but there's also rivers that flow through Thessalonica. He'll flee from Thessalonica, like I said, Berea, Athens down here. So just to give you some, some idea of, of where are we talking. Paul and Philippi, the three radical salvations, we go, wow, isn't that great? Three radical salvations, again, the entire household, so more than three. Isn't that wonderful? Praise be to God. And then we read the rest of the chapter. False accusation, beatings, imprisonment, run for your life was Paul's experience. And that's how we come to chapter 17, verse 1. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Thessalonica, one of the largest cities in the Roman world. It was an important city in Macedonia. It was the capital of the province. It was a hub. People are always coming in and out, in and out. Travelers from all over. Think of it like New York City to us. A hub. It's because there are waterways and there are roadways created, it created this vibrant trade hub. There's fertile farmlands, there's a thriving fishing industry from both the rivers and the sea. 
But not only that, there's this amazing road that passes right through Thessalonica. It was called the Via Ignatia. It was a Roman roadway that connected Rome to Byzantium. All right, modern day, Europe to Asia. And that road marched right through Thessalonica, which means it was a wealthy city because of all the travelers that came through there. A couple pictures of that road still exist today. But before the Via Ignatia, it would take many months um, to make a trip on a ship. But now these roads allowed for quick and easy travel. Quick and easy travel equated in Paul's mind access to people. In, in Paul's mind, these roads were a means for him to spread the gospel, to live out Acts 1.8. When he saw roads, he saw gospel opportunity. When, when the, the technology, if you will, will come in, the government will come in and build roads well, they weren't building roads for gospel advancement. They were often building roads for Roman soldiers. And so soldiers would travel those roads. They would conquer other peoples from those roads. Peoples would become slaves. Well, Paul saw the technology, the, the advancements, the roadways as means for gospel advancement. In our day, we might think of it like social media. There's a right way and a wrong way to use those roads, those secular technologies. I don't know. In my mind, I think Paul would have used social media. But I don't think he would use it in a way that we often do. He certainly would not have used social media to engage in arguments. I mean, just battling back and forth, trying to talk over each other. He wouldn't be on there to argue, I don't think, mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine. I don't think he would probably be on there to talk about Dr. Seuss or this president or that president. I do think he would be on there. I think he would see it as access. I think he would use it for gospel advancement. Use social media well. Use it for the glory of God. Use it for gospel advancement. Our purpose in this life is not to win the next political argument. Our purpose in this life is to win lost people to Jesus Christ. you shall be my witnesses. Number two, wherever God has you, speak about Jesus. Look at verse two. And Paul went in and as was, was his custom and, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. 
Oh, I love those verses. You, you, you may not be called to foreign missions. Most of us are not called to foreign missions. Most of us are not called to what we saw the Shropshires doing. Most of us, last week, Casey shared. This week, you're hearing from the Shropshires an explanation of unreached people groups. Most of us are not called to unreached people groups. But all of us are called to speak of Jesus to a lost and dying world, and we need to recognize that. Do you, do you know why Paul spoke about Jesus to the Thessalonians? Do you know why? Here's why. Because he was in Thessalonica. That's why. Because wherever the man goes, he speaks of Jesus. You live where you live to be a missionary to, to where you live. You, you have a calling. We are all called by God to speak of Christ. And what does Paul do there in, this, in the synagogue? He reasons with them from Scripture. Now, what does that mean? What is Scripture at this point? It's the Old Testament. There is no New Testament. Thessalonians is one of the, if not the earliest letter in the New Testament. He hasn't written Thessalonians yet. He's living Thessalonians at this point. All right? But he goes to the synagogue and he reasons from Scripture, meaning the Old Testament. I just want to exhort us, don't belittle your Old Testament. People say, oh, there's God. God was this kind of God in the Old Testament, this kind of God in the New Testament. No, he wasn't. <laughs> He's God. He's always been gracious and merciful from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. God is the same God, merciful, gracious, wonderful God that he is. He reasons from the Old Testament about who? Jesus. So that's another point I just want us to, to, to recognize because when we're preaching through these Old Testament books, we're always trying to help us to see the Old Testament is about what or who? It's about Jesus. The Old Testament is always pointing forward Jesus ever since the fall. Man was created in relationship with God. Because of the fall, we've been separated. What will God do to redeem us? Because we're not able to redeem us. And so the entire, from Genesis 3 forward, is the Old Testament saying, Messiah's coming, Jesus is coming, your Savior is coming. Oh, church, here, he's coming, he's coming. All these years, that's what the Old Testament does and is. And so when Paul reasons with them from Scripture, he does so preaching Christ to them. We are blessed today with the New Testament. The New Testament is always looking back, looking back. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And then it'll say, and Thessalonians will do this. And looking forward, he's coming again. He's coming again. Christ will return for his bride. What I love about this section of scripture is how Paul stays on point. And I said this about a month ago, is that we so easily get distracted in our conversations. 
And the world certainly does have questions. It's not as if we're trying to ignore those questions. We want to address those questions. But remember that in our witness of Christ, guess what? It's about Christ. (laughs) It's about Christ. And we need to get to the point because we can have conversations for hours on end about this minuscule thing or this unimportant piece of doctrinal thing, um, secondary issues, interesting conversation. Not saying don't have the conversation, but let's get to Jesus Christ crucified. It's the gospel that has the power of God to salvation. Paul's a fisher of men. That's what evangelism is. We make evangelism more difficult than I think we ought. We put pressure on ourselves. We try to be the Holy Spirit for people. Let me help you be saved. We attempt to be the Holy Spirit. And can I just relieve us of that job? You, I will never save anyone. (laughs) We're not supposed to. We're supposed to plant. We're supposed to water. Evangelism is simply putting the message of Christ out there and seeing who's interested Who's interested? Wherever God has you, speak the gospel. That might be the grocery store. That might be the coffee shop. That might be the workplace, the university. Wherever God has you, speak the gospel. Number three, live content that the gospel will do what the gospel does. Subtitled. Some were redeemed, others were enraged. Let the gospel do what the gospel does. Be content with that, all right? So let's unpack that. The joy of evangelism will also be, ready? The heartache of evangelism. Live content to let the gospel do what the gospel does. The gospel will redeem, the gospel will offend, Are we content with that? I confessed, I very often am not content with that. We look at verse four, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And we go, yes, praise God. This is amazing. What a What a result here. This is incredible, wonderful, great news. Number of the Greeks, leading women. And then we read verse five. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason when they could not find them, dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And it goes on. We'll read more in just a few moments. The joy of evangelism will also be the heartache of evangelism. Some were persuaded, some were, some joined them, but there's this Jewish crowd who is jealous. They form a mob, a riot ensues. They attack Jason's house. Don't know much about him here. They want to bring Paul and Silas before a local assembly, before this whole thing, this whole Jesus thing gets out of hand. 
We need to be okay with both. Some are persuaded, some are outraged. I want everybody to be persuaded. I don't like it when people are outraged. I want everybody to come to Trinity and like Trinity and enjoy Trinity. But the reality is when you preach the gospel, some are persuaded and some will hate you. And we need to live content to let the gospel do what the gospel does. We need to trust God with both results. They end up bringing Jason and others to the authorities. That word is translated from the word polytarchs. I want to explain polytarchs. I want to explain kind of what's going on here in Thessalonica. Because understanding some of this from Acts will help you understand First and Second Thessalonians. So hang with me here. We're going to do a little bit of history lesson. And I hope it will help us open up those letters. In Thessalonica, they had a unique governing structure. The political structure in Thessalonica was quite free, yet I liked it. They were free to control their own affairs. There was no military presence in Thessalonica. It was up to them to keep things. The people is up to them. You had a responsibility. Keep things orderly. Keep things civil. Keep Caesar. This is most important. Caesar is Lord. Don't let anything ruin our wonderful freedoms. We don't want Rome marching in here with soldiers. And so the polytarchs were the authorities that you see there in verse 6. And their role in the city, they were tasked with keeping, serving Rome, serving the people by keeping the peace and keeping things orderly and civil. And let's make sure we don't forget, Caesar is Lord. One of the ways that they were to keep the peace is to make sure everyone stays on script. Caesar, government, is Lord, worship. Government and worship. You can separate the church and the state, but you cannot separate government from worship. Don't go on a tangent. Okay, stay with it. There were a lot of religious temples, shrines. There was the synagogue. Pilgrims would travel from all over. They'd make their way to Mount Olympus, the home of the Greek gods. Think Zeus and friends. They were fine with all of these places of worship, fine with the many varieties of religion, just as long as we keep things peaceful and orderly. And don't forget, Caesar is Lord. This kept travelers flowing into the city. With that travel coming into your city, they left money. It made the area wealthy. Keep the peace meant make sure travelers are happy. Be accepting, be tolerant of all the gods. Roman gods, Greek gods, Egyptian. In all of that, the one religion that was to be supreme over them all was the worship of the Roman emperor. Honor Caesar, pay homage to Caesar, then all is well. 
This worship was kind of ramped up during the early reign of Caesar Augustus, also known as Octavius. Great uncle, Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was assassinated. Caesar Augustus, also known as Octavius, replaced him, and he brought peace, key word, peace to the Roman Empire. So much peace that the Roman citizens believed that Caesar Augustus carried, ready, the good news, the gospel. Caesar is Lord. He's the king. Caesar is to be worshiped. Caesar brought us good news, the gospel. He brings peace into our kingdom. And it was said that this good news, this peace, this gospel in the empire of Rome would never end. So the local polytarchs were charged, hey guys, don't blow it. The gospel of Caesar and the good news of peace and the prosperity that they were enjoying was to be protected and preserved at all costs. Enter Paul. And he makes his way to the synagogue. And he begins to discuss with them. He reasons with them from scriptures about Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. Look at verse six and seven. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men have turned the world upside down and have come here also, and Jason has received him. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The good news, the gospel of Caesar, the peace is being threatened by the gospel of Jesus. Citizens took action because well, if we allow this to continue, the Roman Empire will have to step in and we'll lose our liberties. And that's gonna prove to be costly to us. These Christ followers were submitting themselves to another king, another Lord. Where's all this headed? Paul was viewed by the politarchs to be a threat Paul will flee under the dark of night. In one sense, the politarchs got it right. Jesus is king and we will worship him and we cannot bow to Caesar. But they also got it wrong. What they didn't realize is that these new Christians were more than happy to live peaceful lives, more than happy to be good citizens and submit to the local governing authorities and be contributors to society. They will be, Paul will write of this in 1 Thessalonians, they will be hard workers. They will not be thieves. They will help out their neighbors. They will give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. They, will, they were not seeking to rebel or to stir things up or be any sort of problem, but their allegiance has changed. And... Jesus, King Jesus, now comes first. And so the people were determined to squish this thing now because if we don't, then Roman soldiers will come marching in here into our streets. They will have to take over. We will be forced to feed them and house them. We will be taxed. This is gonna be costly to us. Rome will keep their eye on us. 
Read verse 8. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Meaning the people got it. They understood what this meant for them. They understood the implications of the message. And they didn't want to give up, hear this, their short-term peace with Rome. They traded. I'll take short-term peace for my 95 years in this life, and I'll trade it for this eternal peace that comes through Christ Jesus, the King. This is important for our day. The gospel of Jesus is still challenging the gospel of Caesar. The peace that this world offers, this eter- it promises this eternal forever peace and it cannot deliver. The Savior versus the Savior. The Lord versus the Lord. A new gospel had come into the city. It was threatening to turn their world. They say it's threatening to turn our world upside down. It's actually turning it right side up. Remember, prominent people are turning to Christ here. We're going to follow Jesus, even if it costs us, even if, you, if there's suffering, even if there's adversity. We're going to be part of the people of God. We're going to build this church here. Even if Rome threatens our short-term peace, we'll go with it because we're trading for a long-term forever peace that's found in Christ. Listen, where there is mess, mission, there will be a mess. Live content to let the gospel do what the gospel does. Some will receive Christ. The crowds will be enraged. Faithfulness in mission will bring a mess to mission. And that's why as a church, we cannot bow to pragmatic ideas and methods that are simply developed only aimed at filling chairs filling people in chairs rather than filling hearts with the power of Jesus Christ. We must remain committed to the word of God. Some will be persuaded. Crowds will be enraged. That's the world we're living in. That world is most likely going to get worse. Will you join the church in Thessalonica? Let me warn you, it's gonna be difficult. In America, we've enjoyed so many freedoms and so much peace in this life that when a little bit of suffering and adversity comes our way, oh, we're, we're, we don't know what to do with ourselves anymore. I mean, what if more comes? Will you visit me in the jail? Will you come and see me? Those days could come. That's why I say, well, I hope you'll join the church in Thessalonica when you get that promotion. And I'm saying to you, will you? If not, why not? Because it will call you to suffer as a family. There's other places to worship. Mount Olympus, about 50 50 miles outside of town. You can worship Zeus and friends there. Caesar's Lord there. The government is Lord there. Jesus is Lord here. He's the king. 
Some will come to Christ. Others will be enraged. Live content to let the gospel do what the gospel does. Number four, faithfulness to mission will tempt you to quit. If I could have the worship team join me. In the end, they could not bow to Caesar, which is why Paul will write to the Thessalonians with great joy that they're standing firm. I want to read to you from Thessalonians chapter three, verses one through eight. It says, therefore, we could not bear it no longer. We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. See, Paul doesn't know. How's it going back there at the new church? So we're going to send Timothy back to find out. Because I know I left you and you're going to be suffering back there. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. How are they doing? For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as long as, as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Faithfulness to mission will tempt you to quit. They knew they were engaged in a deadly game. Your faith in Christ can be a death to relationship. Your faith in Christ can be death to promotion. Your faith in Christ can be death to your workplace. Some of you are tempted to give up on Christ. It's too hard. Can't I just be the Christian who goes on the easy way? I want the, I want the Christianity, the path of least resistance Christianity. That's the, that's the Christianity I signed up for. And let's be real. There are easier ways to live, more comfortable ways to live in this 95 years in this life. Your faith in Christ is a threat to this world's worship. A threat to the worship of self and lust and entertainment and lifestyle and government and wealth. You're a threat to another kingdom, its values. You are no longer darkness, you are light. So Thessalonians will call us beyond a Sunday Christianity. Jesus is Lord. Everywhere you go, At all times, Jesus is Lord. There is not a square inch of your life, your home, your carpet, your wallet, all of it belongs to him. He's Lord. Every breath you breathe, you breathe for him. Every time you come to the building to serve in public or in private, you do your serving for him. And so now as we close our mission series, our 2021 series, and we begin our series in Thessalonians, let me encourage you with three very quick things. One, pray, pray, wake up praying. Like literally, wake up, Lord, help me today. I am called to be a witness of you. 
I am weak, Lord. God, give me strength. Put me in conversations. I, I'm confessing myself. I'm busy and I'm distracted and I don't care. Lord, help me to slow down my life and not be so... People are dying and going to hell and I'm busy. So pray. Two, would you please give? Those cards on your seats there, would you please give? It helps us to mission at Trinity. Number three, speak. If you change the order... It's GPS. That's how you're going to remember it. I just don't want to start with give. I want to start with pray. Pray, give, speak. So God, help me have the boldness to open my mouth and speak the truths of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. God, would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. Let's stand and sing.
So God, hear that prayer in, in lyrics. Lord, hear our hearts, Lord God, and help us, Father, this local church, Trinity. Lord, help us to be that Acts 1-8 people in our day. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Benediction comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now, may the God of peace, he's the peace. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.